Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Retire your overplayed playlist. You'll never hear the same mix twice on AMP. AMP is a free live radio app where anyone can hop on the mic and play the music they love. So you can discover new-to-you playlists as they're made. Download AMP. That's A-M-P in the App Store. Enjoy quality homemade meals without the hassle. With Chef, you can choose from thousands of authentic dishes prepared with care by the best local cooks in your community, all made with fresh ingredients and delivered right to your door. It's like your own personal chef with an unbeatable variety. Explore cuisines from over 90 different countries from Mexico to Thailand and more at Chef.com. That's Chef with an S dot com. Hi, everyone. You are listening to Hot Off the Mess. I am your host, Samantha Bush, and welcome to another Bravo Friday podcast. I am ready to get into all of it because I feel like I feel like there's a lot to talk about this week. So first, congrats are in order for Sheena Shea and Brooke Davies on their engagement. The two got engaged earlier this week. She was spotted with a gigantic, gigantic rock on her finger. And I'm curious because I know Vanderpump Rules just like wrapped filming. So I'm wondering if he did it on camera. I hope he didn't. And I know that that might be controversial, but there, I already have like this feeling this, this man, this Australian like rugby player is a little bit of a thirst monster. So I hope he did it off camera just to kind of show everyone like listen I'm really in love with Sheena like I do you know it's not just about the fame and the Instagram ads uh because okay one of the things I really listen I don't love Randall and Lala like I I, I'm not their biggest fan but I don't hate them but I did really like that he did their proposal off camera. Like he waited. And I thought that that was actually like really nice because I do think that they have like a real relationship despite like how it may look to people because due to the age difference or the money or whatever. So while we're on the topic of Randall and Lala and Banner Pump Rules, let's talk about Midnight in the Switchgrass. If you are not familiar, which I'm sure you're not, Uh, Let me tell you all about it. It's a movie that Randall Emmett, so Lala Kent's fiance, produced and directed. It stars Machine Gun Kelly, MGK, uh, and Megan Fox, and Bruce Bruce Willis. Feels random. Feels like a very chaotic group of people. Uh, It currently has 11% on Rotten Tomatoes, which his films usually don't, they don't do that well, I gotta say. Uh, so this was the movie that MGK and Megan Fox actually met on. So this is, this is what started it all. And if you know me, you know that I'm like obsessed, obsessed with these two. I just think that they are like one of those couples that are just like made for each other. I don't know them, obviously. I don't know, really know their personalities all that well. Cause she's kind of been, she was kind of shunned by Hollywood actually for a while because she came out and spoke out against um, whatever his face is from the Transformers movies. Not Shia LaBeouf, but the director. I cannot think of his name right now, but it really doesn't matter. He sounds like a piece of shit. Uh, she kind of came out and spoke out against him that he was like really like sexualizing her and, you know, because she's always been kind of this like sex symbol. And even like from a very young age, she was very sexualized. So, um, and, like, she's literally one of the most beautiful women on the planet. Uh, but anyways, so that's how they met on the set of this movie. And so I saw this on Twitter because it the premiere just happened. Uh, and I saw this on Twitter and on at Not Skinny But Not Fat's Instagram. She's hilarious. Go follow her if you don't. I'm sure you already do. But if you don't, go follow her at Not Skinny But Not Fat. 
um, that Lala was standing in front of the movie poster for uh, Midnight in the Switchgrass and strategically was standing right in front of Megan Fox's photo. So it was like this movie poster and it has Bruce Bruce Willis. I don't know why that's so funny to me. It just feels so random. But Bruce Willis and Megan Fox are on the cover of this, you know, poster. And Lala's standing like directly in front of her. Like you cannot tell that Megan would even be on the poster. And then also like up at the very top where it says, you know, like who's starring in the movie, it will say like Megan Fox, Bruce Willis, and another actor. They didn't put Machine Gun Kelly on the poster, but because uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't know like what type of role he was playing. But um, anyways, so over the credit of Megan Fox, she wrote so excited for this. So you would have literally no idea that Megan Fox was even in this movie. And I just have to know why. Like, I need to know the tea. So I did light, light, I did a shallow dive, uh, light investigating into this because if you really think about it, if you follow these two people, Megan Fox or Machine Kelly, they have done zero promotion for this movie. Zero. Nothing on their Instagram like nothing they weren't at the premiere of the movie which is like very strange because I mean like you'd think that they would be there just based off of like sentimental value like they're so in love they're soulmates and this is how they met like this was like the movie that brought them together so like you'd think that that would like be a huge selling point for them to go and also for the movie to do well so it's very, very weird that they didn't go to the premiere. But like, of course, the entire cast of Vanderpump Rules went to the fucking premiere. Kristen Dowdy went to the premiere with her strange boyfriend. Um, Stassi even went. Sheena, like ev- everybody was there. You get the point. Everybody was there. Uh, so Megan's rep told Variety, quote, Due to the recent California mask mandate and rise of COVID cases, Megan Fox will no longer be attending the premiere tonight. And I'm just not buying that because her and MGK have kind of been doing, they've been doing other press. They've been seen out and about a lot together. Like they've been at concerts with Travis Barker and Kourtney Kardashian. Like they've, they've been places. So I'm just kind of not really buying it because she's also done like a lot of recent interviews and she mentions like the other projects that she is going on and has again, never once brought up this movie. So I just think it's important uh, to take a look back on Randall Emmett and his quote-unquote filmmaking uh, that has grossed him over $1.2 billion, apparently, which is like a fuckload of money. Like, I feel like he's about to be the next one going to space. Um, And I also hope you guys don't mind, but my throat's feeling a little itchy, so I'm going to... Got some ASMR going. I'm taking a little sip of my coffee. Okay. Anyways... In a Vulture article from March of 2021, this year, they kind of put it very plainly. It's called, you guys have to read this, um, it's called The King of Geezer Teasers. (laughs) So Vulture did an article, (laughs) this is so funny to me, I don't know why, um, called The King of the Geezer Teasers. Let me catch you up here. Randall has done a lot of films recently, specifically, with like Al Pacino or Robert De Niro or Bruce Willis. Like, so they're the geezers, uh, clearly. Uh, No offense, but they are. So that's why it's called that. And like, it's got this like really funny, like kind of caricature of like Randall in the middle, like surrounded by all these like quote-unquote geezers it's just kind of it's funny artwork please go check it out it's on vulture but so anyways so vulture put out this article and in it they said quote there's a crude blunt brilliance to emmett's filmmaking formula accept money from just about anyone willing to hand it over offer vast sums of it to an aging star the geezers for a day or two of work and then leverage that actor's name to pre-sell the movie in foreign markets And that just makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Like, that is literally, if you look back at all of his movies, like, that he's quote-unquote produced, like, that's what he has done. Like, Robert De Niro was in movies of his, Al Pacino, like I said. Um, God, 
remember that one movie I think it's called Gotti he did um oh god and it was like it has zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes it's a very exclusive list the movies that have gotten a zero percent on Rotten Tomato Dark Tide Max Steel do you remember how Max Steel was because I do Police Academy 4 Cabin Fever The Nutcracker in 3D and there's Gotti right on the bottom, 2018 at the bottom of the list. You know, I mean, it's really harder to get a 0%, I think, than 100%. And I remember on Vanderpump Rules, they talked about this. And it was kind of like a joke because it, Lala blamed Hollywood for not being interested or supporting movies in quote unquote that genre. Uh, that genre being the mafia, which is absolutely ridiculous because that is one of like the most lucrative I feel like Hollywood genres you could get into. Like, people fucking love that shit. My, I have, you guys know, you've listened to, I mean, hopefully you've listened to the episode. It was, my friend Paige was on. She is, like, deeply, deeply invested in the mob and, like, their life. Oh, my God. I have my sweater on backwards. I just, like, went and touched my neck. Oh, my God. I feel the tag. Anyways, so embarrassing. Sorry. Anyways, so she said that the mafia was, like, it is just a genre that doesn't do well. And of course, James Kennedy like had to laugh about it. Like he does a really, really funny confessional. Uh, but just because he's like this producer and director who's made apparently a billion dollars, it doesn't mean he's like successful. I mean, I guess it just depends how you measure success. Like if you measure it by like how much money you're making, like fuck yeah, like clearly he is. But um. In the same article, they state that he, quote, begged Marty, so Martin Scorsese, uh, Marty, for a script that he couldn't get financed so that he could finance it for him. A producer who has worked with Emmett told him that, told the uh, author of this article this, that the film turned out to be silence, which had languished in development for decades before Emmett helped Scorsese find some of the money that finally got made. And then they went on to say that Emmett leveraged this deal with Scorsese to earn a non-PGA producer credit for The Irishman, but it did not earn him the respect of his peers. So The Irishman was the movie that like everyone's basically shitting themselves over. Like every man in the world was like jerking off to the fucking Irishman. It is, I think it's like four hours long. I refuse to watch it. Because I, I can't sit somewhere for that long unless I'm watching, like, old Real Houses of New York episodes. <laughs> like, I just, I can't. It just feels like, it even sounds like it moves slow, like The Irishman. But it got nominated for Golden Globes and Oscars. And just, like, I remember imagining Lala sitting in the same room as Meryl Streep. And I just, I just can't. So he also has, like, a really bad reputation in the industry, uh, Vulture said broad expanses of his own industry now view him with suspicion, including unions like the Writers Guild of America West, which has placed his production company Emmett Furla slash Oasis or EFO Films on its strike list, citing its failure to comply with an arbitration award amounting to $524,367 after interest. So there's that. So I, I just don't think he has a lot of respect in the industry. Is the vibe that I'm getting like, I, I mean, I don't know much about all of that, but like just the tone of this article specifically, like it, it's not it doesn't paint him in like a great light because they also mentioned that he's still viewed as Mark Wahlberg's personal assistant, which he was for many years. I believe that they grew up together, if I'm recalling this correctly. Uh, he was, you know, also the inspiration behind Turtle of entourage that's the rumor and I think he's never corrected that record because I think he thinks it like makes him sound like so fucking cool but and then we also all remember the Fofty drama which was one of the highlights of my entire life when him and 50 Cent were feuding on Instagram and Twitter like and he was like begging Fofty is what his autocorrect kept changing it to to like stop and then he would post like pictures of him and like an EKG machine hooked up because Fofty was like just asking him for his money back so all of this is to say, so what, yeah, like what I'm trying to get at here is maybe Megan and MGK have like some bad blood with Randall. Like he does seem to have some issues with a lot of people in the industry. And I feel like he's kind of like a hangers on. 
Uh, you also have to remember this too that Jax Taylor is supposedly like working with him now. Like apparently Randall got him a job. Like it's so fucking weird. It's just like, I don't know. I can't imagine. Can you imagine Jax Taylor being on set with Robert De Niro? That fucking clown on set with Robert De Niro. Like I just, my brain can't even compute what that would even look like. But as Justin Bobby says, truth in time tells all. So enough of the VPR nonsense. Let's talk Real Housewives of Potomac. So last week we kind of, we left off at Wendy's like new titty party, like the nude interlude party. And you can definitely tell that there's tension between a lot of the, the, a lot of the ladies. Like what I love about Housewives is when there's a lot of different layers, like when it's not just two people always going at each other. I mean, Karen and Giselle will always and forever feud. But there's also other things going on. Like I think Robin and Karen kind of don't really fuck with each other. There's also the Wendy and Mia issue, who's the new housewife, who I'm very intrigued by. I am curious to see what happens with her. But I trust Wendy's judgment. Like I trust her intuition when it comes to relationships and like, I just think she's a really smart woman. And I think she her looking at Wendy sideways is, like, very warranted. Because I would struggle with, if I met someone who came into my home, I didn't know them, and I just asked them, like, simple questions, like, how old are you? And she couldn't answer. I would be like, you're a fucking idiot. <laughs> like, what do you mean you don't know how old you are? It was just, like... That to me like set a tone and I think it did with Wendy too where she was like, if you, what? Like then what, how can we trust you if we don't even know, like if you don't even know how old you are and you keep doing this like back and forth and then like the math problems go up on the screen if you remember from last week. Like it was fucking weird. And then at the party, like when they were actually sitting down at the table, Wendy was like, let's talk about the work you've had done. And of course, like Mia named it all and I respect that, but also like, just because you can name all the plastic surgery you've had doesn't mean that you won't lie about other things. And she immediately kind of, Mia kind of like latches onto Giselle, thinks Giselle has a great, um, is a great woman. She says that she is a good judge of character, whatever. It just felt strange because, and Wendy even said it. And I don't even think Wendy and Karen vibe like that. But for for Wendy to even say about Mia to care, like, why would you take up for Giselle or say Giselle is a good person or whatever if you were that close with Karen, who literally her and Giselle hate each other right now? It just feels weird. Like this woman brought you into the group and you're basically like aligning yourself with like her her enemy. Like it just doesn't seem like something a good friend would do. But again, we're not living in like a real universe. We're living in Housewives, so I, I get it. Uh, we see a little bit of Mia in her penthouse, uh, which she is not in Potomac. She is in Baltimore, so she's at the Baltimore Harbor. Uh, I've been told that there's a very big difference between the Baltimore Harbor and the where the Potomac Harbor. <laughs> the Potomac Harbor? Is it the Potomac Harbor or the D.C. Harbor? Listen, I'm not good at geography. I don't really give a shit, but... Um, so I've been told that, uh, her husband is a lot older than her and I'm not going to age shame because that's ridiculous. Uh, because you know, who doesn't love an older man, but they seem to have like a fine dynamic. Like, you know, she's taking over the businesses. He's, you know, built quote unquote an empire, you know, whatever. I kind of thought that scene was like kind of boring. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't need to like see you like make eggs with your kids. It's not something I'm necessarily into. And I also, seeing these children in these penthouses, like hers seemed a little bit more child-friendly than Ashley's. Like I need Ashley to get the fuck out of there. It is like tons of sharp corners, like mirrored tables. Like it just gives me so much anxiety to watch baby Dean like run into walls with his little toy car. Like it just stresses me out. You know, we see Ashley's mom, Sheila, come over who... I think she just fucking hates Michael and she just tolerates the fact that he pays her bills. Like, 
she hates him. Even Ashley in the confessionals is like, they hugged. It's like, well, I would hope so. You've been married for eight years and this is your mother. So I would hope that your husband and your mother hug. But we're again, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. Scraping the bottom of the barrel. Uh, Candace is a busy little worker bee. She is getting her master's at Howard. She's a singer, an actress. I, I'm really enjoying seeing her and Chris together in confessionals. I think that they actually have like a really good rapport with each other and they seem to have like a lot of fun. Uh, then Karen throws her love lunch. So obviously Robin's not coming with Juan because Karen always has a lot to say about Robin and Juan and Robin's like, go fuck yourself. Giselle, Giselle, Giselle's obviously not coming because she even admitted this episode that, uh, what's his face? See, I'm not good at this. I don't know why I do this. Uh, oh my God, Jamal, Jamal. Okay. Lives in the phone. Uh, which was interesting. And people are trying to like make this, I think, a bigger deal than it really is. I don't think Giselle ever for one second didn't know that Jamal was the way that he was. I think she was just hurt that the women that are supposedly her friends are bringing this shit up and throwing it in her face. And I also personally struggle with on a lot of these shows, your worth is measured by if you can keep, quote unquote, keep a man or not, like that's fucked up. And that's some like old school, like nonsense that I just don't agree with. Like Karen says it a lot. I know on Atlanta, they say it to uh, Kenya a lot. It, it just makes me uncomfortable because they're like, well, you can't keep a man. It's like, why would she want to? She doesn't need to. She's fine. Do I think that Giselle is a beautiful woman and smart and funny and can get any guy she wants. Yes. But at the time, at this time, I think she does really struggle with relationships. And like, I totally am empathetic and understanding of that because I myself struggle. So like I tweeted the other day and this was like really embarrassing. I don't know why I'm even talking about it, but that's why we're here is there's a part of me that when Giselle talks about herself in relationships, I relate to it a little bit. Because it's very easy for her to just be like, okay, I, I'm not doing this with you. Like, this is getting a little too difficult. This is getting a little too hard. I feel, I struggle. I struggle with that as well. And her daughters kind of dragged her a little bit for this. They were like, mom, just because someone's going through a hard time doesn't mean that like you, you leave them, like you need to be there for them. And that I think she gets a little resentful because maybe someone at one point in her life wasn't there for her the way she needed them to be. So she's just kind of like, fuck you, like whatever. I mean, I totally could be reading into that. I personally don't think I am. There is a scene where she's in therapy in season four with Dr. Ken and she talks about her and Sherman, uh, her, which is her ex-boyfriend. And like, it's just a really vulnerable scene with Giselle and I just highly recommend everybody go back and rewatch that it's in season four you'll find it uh, I'm sure but anyways so yeah I don't love that and then so Karen has her love lunch everyone comes Candace comes uh and I was proud of Candace for coming and I liked that her because her and Karen really do I think have a very real or they did have a very real friendship and it was like it felt really natural where I think the relationship Karen had with like Monique, it felt very for the show. And I, I feel like Candace and Karen really talked a lot outside of it, the show. And Karen really took on like a motherly big sister type of role with her. And I just think Candace is like really, really hurt by that whole relationship with uh, Karen and Monique. And I, I heard that they don't speak um, Karen and Monique <laughs> at all. Karen was probably like, okay, you're off the show. You can't do anything for me anymore. But so everyone came over. The husbands came. Chris Bassett is always in some sort of look. He is always thrown together a turtleneck with a blazer and an ascot. And like, like this man, like he takes risks and I appreciate it. But also I wish he would like maybe, maybe rein it in, you know, like, you know how they always say like put on all the jewelry you want and then like take off a couple pieces and like, then it will you'll figure it out. That's kind of what I want him to do. Just like with his clothing, like it's just a lot. There's always a lot happening. And it always looks like I would be really claustrophobic in his clothes. Like it's always, and I'm saying this as a woman whose shirt is inside out right now. <laughs> so I don't know why the fuck I think I could talk about anything, what people are wearing. It's like so embarrassing, but know thyself, you know, be self-aware. Okay. 
So now they're playing the newlywed game. And obviously, Wendy and Eddie win because I feel like they do have like a real nice relationship. Uh, I feel like they're very much in love and happy. And I think he's supportive and vice versa. And Mia bugs me. (laughs) I'm going to say I like her. I think I'm going to like her as a housewife. That doesn't mean she's not going to bug me. Is I also struggle with this idea that just because a woman doesn't really fuck with you or, you know, or something, she's automatically jealous. She's automatically jealous of you. That's not the case. Like, I don't think Wendy is jealous of fucking Mia, okay? I think there might be some jealousy with Mia towards Wendy. I mean, it feels... The way that she was reacting to how much Eddie and Wendy, like, got along, it felt weird. She looked kind of jealous. It was... And I, I don't know why, because I think Mia and her husband have a good relationship. It's obviously just different because her husband is 68, I think she said. And she's 36. Like, I get it. Like, your husband's pushing 70, babe. I'd be jealous, too, if, like, my friend had a husband like Eddie and my, you know, husband's, like, wanting to move to Florida to a retirement village. Like, I would be, I would be annoyed. But that bugs me because it's like... I just don't think Wendy really, I don't think that they vibe. I don't think that they have much in common personality-wise. So we'll see. I'm excited to see where the season goes. I think it will be really, really good. I'm excited to watch Mia throw salad at Candace. And Candace, like, with her little baby kangaroo arms, like, has to, like, reach over the counter (laughs) to, like, get, like, a piece of, like, baby spinach and, like, throw it at Mia. It's really, it's really funny. I can't wait for that. But so that's, that's Potomac this week. I don't. I feel like things happened, but it's, I feel like it's just setting the stage. And next week we get to see uh, Juan yell at Robin for being depressed and wanting to sleep, which I can't wait to scream about that. So this week's Roni, it felt good. I'm just going to say that. It felt really good. It felt like we were getting somewhere. It felt like there was something to hold on to. Now, I do think we are hanging on by a Giovanni thread. I think I will take any little nugget and just hold on to it and cherish it because the season's been so terrible. So like this is like the only way to go from here is up. You know what I'm saying? I don't think we can go lower than where we've been. But this episode, it felt good. I saw little glimmers of, you know, old Roni or like just something to seek your teeth into. Now, I'm struggling personally with this idea of this Bershawn Sonia situation. I think that they were both out of line, but I, it, I'm so protective of Sonia. I think she's like a really, really beautiful, good person there's a part of her that feels so, I don't want to say the word broken, but she's very, um, she's actually very private. I'll get into that later when I talk about the seance, but she does a lot of things to like protect herself, I think, like being the class clown or the funny girl. I know she quotes Fanny Bryce all the time, which I love because I love Funny Girl, the movie with Barbara Streisand. Please go watch it. It gave Barbara her first Oscar. So anyways, and Fanny Bryce's birthday is October 29th, as is mine. Anyways, so Sonia, I just don't like that Bershawn came so hard at her because it didn't feel like it was coming from anywhere real. It just felt like Bershawn was making a scene and I enjoyed it thoroughly because I want something to fucking happen. But I just wish it was someone like Leah or something like who who isn't. Sonia, who like I, I even think the other women are very protective of her because she's so sensitive and like is always kind of in this space. And while I am tired of hearing about a lot of the repetitive bullshit with Sonia, I will say I still like want to hug her. Like that's really what it is. I just I just want to hug her and I just felt that the whole fight uh was kind of uncalled for. And Sonia breaking the glass with a fire extinguisher, like that was just fucking weird. And I'm just like, Sonia, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Um, I'm pissed that production like framed it this way where we didn't get to see really any of it. <sighs> that was annoying. But in the morning, Leah FaceTimes Lou, tells Lou like 
what happened the night before because she had to break up the fight along with producers who I love to see when production gets involved. It's truly one of my favorite things. Um, I gotta say, Leah's skin is fucking beautiful. Like, there's something about Leah and the way that she speaks that I'm obsessed with. Like, I get very obsessed with people's, like, voices and cadence and hand gestures, like, and their fingernails. Like, I know this sounds so creepy. Like, I'm obsessed with their fingernails. But it's very much like Barbara Streisand, like, the way that she speaks with her hands and, like, her nails are always really long and she's she's got this, like, really interesting way of speaking and I think Leah does too. And I just, like love the way Leah speaks. I don't, I know that's weird. I know there are people out there who literally want Leah like to be found in like the Bermuda Triangle, but I, I don't mind her. Uh, the glam squads. I talked about this on Twitter and Instagram this week. I'm fucking sick of them. I never have been a fan of the glam squads. Uh, I get how it works on a show like Beverly Hills, maybe. To some extent, I do think people go a little fucking overboard. Uh, obviously, Erica and Dorit. Um, it's just like not my thing. I don't, I'd never watched Housewives to see their fucking them in a glam chair. Like that's just not what I watch this for. I, I don't want to know how you get to look the way that you look. I just want you to show up on time and ready to fucking play. I don't need to see your glam squad in a hazmat suit. They looked like the fucking child protection agency creatures from Monsters Inc. Like that is when maybe we should take a step back and be like, I don't think this is working. Oh, we don't need glam squads in Salem, Massachusetts during a pandemic. Uh, that's just me. I don't think it is necessary. And I also think if your glam squad has to wear foot booties, PPE of all all sorts of PPE, like jackets, bonnets, uh, masks, fucking goggles and visors, like maybe we shouldn't be doing this. I don't know. I feel like you can smoke out your eye pretty good on your own. Maybe it's like throw on some fucking blush. And so I made this post about it and people were thinking that I was just talking about Ebony and Leah. No, I've had an issue with Roni having glam since Tinsley. Tinsley, because that it's just not Roni. Like that's not, it just isn't what it's about. Uh, it never has been. I love when these women wake up with no makeup on and they look like complete fucking shit and I'm really a hundred percent so that I, I could do without that going forward and then the seance the whole seance thing I do love a seance I love a psychic I love a fortune teller a voodoo doll I love tarot cards I love it all uh and this was no exception because I really loved seeing more into Sonia's childhood because we've never talked about it she briefly brought it up back in season six when they were in the Berkshires and she and Ramona had that meltdown in the woods where she was like playing with mud pies and it was very strange and then she she left on a plane and Ramona or Sonia I mean like brings up the fact that they both had like very abusive childhoods and that's why like she is so sympathetic towards Ramona when it comes to that stuff. So to hear that like Sonia's dad left her when she was little and it was an alcoholic and her mom had four kids and was trying to make it work, like it really made me like love Sonia even more. And I wish that she would feel more comfortable sharing more of that with us. I think it helps people kind of like see her as like, not just as a funny like clown, but as a person and I think the other women really appreciate that as well. And then, of course, like Ramona, like hearing that her brother died two years ago, like that's so sad. That really broke my heart because she she brought up something that I think is relatable for a lot of people is like she couldn't fix him. So she had to protect herself and push him away from her. And that's just devastating. You know, no one likes no one like wants to like that to happen. And I mean, that is her brother. So I don't know. Made me feel sad. But if you guys haven't watched, it's on YouTube. Josh Flagg of Million Dollar Listing LA interviews Sonia Morgan because they've been really close friends for like such a long time. They met through the Bravo universe many, many years ago, and they just have a really, really good friendship. And he tries to get deep with her. Like he asks her about her depression, if she struggles with that. They talk about um, her relationship to Mr. Morgan, how they met, like they they actually knew each other. It was interesting. Her and her ex-husband knew each other for seven years 
and he would like ask her out and she always said no and then finally she went out with him one day and he literally proposed that day and picked like she got to pick out her four carat canary diamond absolutely flawless she said she didn't want to go any bigger because she wanted to still garden girl why are you guarding in a fucking with a canary diamond that like gives me anxiety I will like barely garden with like my fucking earrings that I bought off of Amazon like no it's just but then again I'm not a wasp like Sonia who I like adore uh but she also talks about her childhood like what her her family lives in Tennessee now it's it's just really interesting I won't go on and on about it it's on YouTube please go check it out it's Josh Flag and Sonia Morgan um really really funny Now, my favorite time of the week, I, okay, I struggle because I really love Potomac, but Beverly Hills is just so fucking good. So this week, Beverly Hills, it opens up, and I know this is like a very little moment, but it really struck me because Lisa Rinna, I don't see her as like a dog person. And we see her dog, and he's got a comb of, got the cone of shame on, but he's got like two little bandages on his feet. And like, that's never talked about. There was like no clarification on like why her dog is like wrapped in bandages. And I'm not saying I think Lisa did anything to this dog. I'm just saying it was like a very weird moment because I didn't even know Lisa had a dog. Like we always see Erica's dog. We see Kyle's dogs. We see fucking, you know, Kathy's dog Sue last week. But like Rinna has a dog and its feet are wrapped up and like there's no like little backstory. Like she's not like, oh, like no one asked her. It was just so weird. It was such a little moment that I just like couldn't not. I can't stop thinking about it, to be completely honest. And then, of course, Dorit, uh, we see her. She lives in her closet, much like Mary from Real Houses of Salt Lake City. Like, and I love seeing Dorit with her kids. I think her kids and her have like a really, really beautiful like relationship. I love her little daughter with her little braids. I thought it was just really cute. And then the whole group is headed to Kyle's La Quinta house. And uh, Kyle, of course, being the very nurturing, motherly gal that she is, she has like a ton of fucking food set up. And I got to talk about this because there are about 32 Macintosh apples on the counter. And I'm puzzled because if if they were lemons, I'd get it because people fucking love that like feng shui lemon shit. Like it's ridiculous. But I mean, if it works, hey, it works. I don't think it works for Shannon Bedore because that woman's a fucking mess, but whatever uh but these are apples and also those are the worst flavor of apple the worst type of apple the macintosh ones like those are the ones like you get your teacher in fucking first grade that who you hate like you save like the fuji apple or like the like green apple for like your good teacher this is like the shitty apple that tastes like fucking crayons this is like I was just very confused why there were so many apples. I don't know why. I just had to like talk about that. That and Lisa Rinna's dog. Mysteries. So everyone's there. They all look like they're going to a different event. Like Kyle is in a really relaxed jean with a flannel. Dorit looks like she's in some sort of wetsuit scuba gear. Sutton is in like a long flowy dress. Crystal's in like this beautiful, very much Heather Dubrow, like very beautiful jacket like very structured jacket and then of course my queen Kathy shows up in sweatpants who I'm obsessed with and then ask Kyle where there's not a bellman and then Lisa Rin is in like a Gucci sweatsuit so it's like I don't know where any of them are going but they're not going to the same place and I would be in Kathy or Rinna's outfit I would be in fucking comfy clothes if I just had to drive there I would be in comfy clothes Kathy walks in she's distraught because she her knees hurt because she's had to drive two hours by herself and she never drives anywhere. She has obviously been to this house for 20 plus years and has never driven there by herself. I I love this woman. I love her. I can't, I can't get enough of her. And then she also just says so many things and does so many things in the background. Like she's always just kind of shuffling around in the back or like saying these really funny like offhanded comments and she has no idea that they're funny but I also think it's this idea that she's this incredibly wealthy woman of mystery that like we've only ever heard about so to see her just like randomly look at Sutton and be like there's an eclipse tonight it's the first time in 600 years and then she's like did you feel the wind day is the eclipse oh it is uh-huh and it's one that hasn't happened in 600 years oh gosh i hate that kind of stuff okay. didn't you notice how it was very windy it's like ooh, okay 
And then nothing else. Nothing else about it. It's not even a big moment. It's just she's talking to son about the eclipse. Uh, and seeing Kyle and Kathy together, it just makes me so incredibly happy because she brings out the side of Kyle that Kim obviously just didn't. I think with Kim, she really, really, Kyle, I'm talking about, really struggled because I think Kim made her very anxious. She always felt like she had to make excuses for Kim's behavior because I think that they're such a private family. I've talked about that many times. Big Kathy, I think, really stressed that like you keep things within the family and you don't talk about them. Um, so I think she struggled with that. So I like seeing her with Kathy. I'm glad that they are on better terms. I like that they can joke about when they weren't on good terms. I think that there's just a lot of fun there. And I mean, when Kathy was walking around, like banging the baguettes together, you guys, I was just having the time of my fucking life. I was laughing. I was like, I want to be a Richard sister. Include me next time. Like, And then when she, of course, was sweeping up the fucking glass with the grill brush. I mean, this woman is just the gift that keeps on fucking giving. And Kyle, I've always been a huge fan of Kyle. I don't think it's it was popular at one point to be a fan of her, but I, I love the mother that she is. I love the, like the wife that she is, the friend that she is. I think she's like a beautiful person. I truly think she's the heart and soul of Beverly Hills. I don't necessarily think she's like the star or like the queen of Beverly Hills, but I do think she is like the backbone of this fucking show in a way that Teresa kind of is for New Jersey. Like I, I can't see it ever moving on without them. Uh, and I feel that way a little bit with Ramona, but she's part of such like a Trace Amigas type of thing with Luann and Sonia that like, I, I wouldn't mind seeing them without Ramona. I don't know. It's just, I feel very differently about it. I, I just really love Kyle and I like how she, it did stress me out though that she was starting this lasagna, which I mean, lasagna takes a long fucking time to make. Like when the women were like just arriving, it's like they're not eating until 1am. <laughs> like we need to face that fact. But so the, of course the women are all standing around and they're mismatching outfits and they're talking about how Erica's assets and Tom's assets were frozen. Uh, they just received the news that they were frozen. And I do appreciate that they are questioning things. Like, they're not just like, oh, that's probably not true. Or, oh, this is whatever. Like, they are in their confessionals being like, I don't know what's going on. Then Erica arrives. And she, of course, walks in. She's silent. She's in heels. She is received by everybody hugging her and she cries the hardest when she sees Kyle because I think Kyle again is so mother mothery motherly that she's just one of those people that like when you hug her you just start crying probably harder but so she sits down they're all having a drink and uh starts talking about the situation and Kathy sweet Kathy is like oh do you know Robert Shapiro Bob Shapiro now guys OJ Simpson and the OJ trial is literally like the seventh housewife of fucking Beverly Hills. It it like haunts these hills, much like Big Kathy. Because like that was a murderer's lawyer. Why? What? Like what is going on? And then of course Erica brings up the fact that like, yeah, she is good friends or was good friends with Bob Shapiro. And uh, but he's friends of Tom's. Because Tom is like a very, or was, a really well-respected lawyer in Beverly Hills, in LA. So he has a lot of pull with these people. And I bet, you know, they're more team Tom maybe in the whole situation. But maybe not. Who knows? Um, but I liked the side moment with Sutton and Erica. I think that they have this like Southern girl bond with each other because they're both from Georgia. Um, Sutton opening up about her father's suicide was like really powerful and I think it was a way to kind of disarm Erica to let her know like listen times are fucking shitty especially around the holidays when this is all happening like my father committed suicide around Christmas it was horrible and as someone whose grandfather committed suicide I do appreciate the talk about how it is very complicated for families like I like that she talks about her mom's relationship with her dad versus her relationship. And I think her mom brings up a good point is like 
the relationship you and dad had is not the relationship I had. I was married to this person. So he was your dad. He was your superhero. I was his wife who, I mean, we don't know the ins and outs of that relationship, but I do think that that's was like a really interesting moment. It really showed how layered and complicated relationships can be. And I always, I don't know, I always appreciate when they talk about that stuff. And I, I like that Crystal talked about later on in the episode, her dad struggled, had Alzheimer's again. Like I relate to that immensely. It's a very hard thing to watch someone in your life go through that. Uh, it's terrible because it's also, it's really hard in the beginning. And she, she talked about this, like when he was hitting his head, when he would forget things, it's like, because when you have Alzheimer's, it kind of, or at least from my experience with my grandma, they kind of know what's happening to them in the beginning. So that's hard is like, they know that they're forgetting things and they know what's coming for them or, or kind of, and they might not talk about it, but it's, it's very real. So I don't know. I just appreciate these other like layers. It wasn't, I mean, it was about Erica, but we got to see and learn more about these other women. And I enjoy that because it shows you, it, it allows you to learn more about them and maybe why they are the way that they are. So yeah, I don't know. I just really enjoyed that. But let's get back to Erica. I'm confused. And I'm going to quote Vicki Gumbelson. Satan loves confusion. I know the truth. And Satan loves confusion. This is Satan's work. <sighs> Tom, okay, let me understand this. Tom was in a car accident three years ago. Broke his ankle. His clavicle. But she just told the women that when it happened that he was fine. And now she's saying he was not fine. He drove off a cliff, then threw himself down said cliff. And now he's a cheater. And Kyle pipes in and says, I've heard that as well. But then, of course, in her confessional, she's like, I hear everything about everybody. And I've heard this so many times on Housewives. And that, you know, to go back to Potomac, like last season, everyone hears rumors about everyone. It's just what do you choose to bring up? And Kyle obviously had heard these rumors, but she didn't think that there was anything to that because, again, Tom is, like, 83 years old and, like, is cheating on this on his wife. And then Erica in the confessional talks about how she found pictures and texts and he was really sloppy about the whole thing. And then I just – I'm confused. And I am frustrated because Erica is getting upset, especially on social media, I can tell, of how confused people are. But it's like, you did this. Like, you are the one that was always so withholding, so cold, didn't open up, didn't say anything. And now all of a sudden, these things are happening to you. And now it's like, okay, let me just tell everyone everything of what's been going on. Oh, and he might have dementia and he can't see or hear. Like, what the fuck is happening? And we do know that just recently he was, his brother was put in charge of his whole situation legally because apparently Tom is like unfit. I don't know. I mean, I just don't know what to believe. And there's a part of me that feel a large part, very large, is that this is almost a tactic is to create this, all of this confusion so that it almost makes people like tap out because they're like, okay, this is too much. Because I see that a lot in Housewives, like when things get a little too like jumble wumbled, like people are like, all right, I don't give a shit anymore. Because then you have like this guy on Twitter, I think his name is Ronald Richardson. He's like bringing up Rinna in all of this, how Rinna like has a mortgage out on her house and she owes this money. And I I don't know what's going on. I, I don't know. And I don't think anyone fucking knows. And I think that's frustrating. But guys... I needed Garcelle at that fucking table because Garcelle would have been asking the tough questions. Her Sagittarius ass would have been all over this. And she would definitely be in confessionals like with her blue little look that I love with the sequins and the blue hair. I love that look. Being like, what is going on? And you see Sutton kind of start to ponder and question what is happening. Um, she was on Watch What Happens Live last night and, you know, got asked about the whole waterproof mascara situation from when she was crying with Kyle. And she basically tiptoed around it, but ultimately was like, yeah, isn't that interesting that you would choose not to wear, I don't know, maybe no makeup or something the day that you're filming, knowing that you're probably going to cry. Like, I mean, and then Andy, 
Andy was interesting on this episode with Sutton. He was like, now, I'm not a woman, but do women prepare for things like that? Like, if you know you're going to cry, do you wear waterproof mascara or whatever? And it's like, kind of. Yeah. If I know, like, for a wedding, for example, like, if I know I'm going to cry, bitch, I throw on that waterproof mascara. Like, because I don't want it running down my face. I don't know. I just think everyone's really confused. And that's pretty much where we leave it. I know that the uh, mid-season trailer came out. It looks fucking incredible because now we get Dorit versus Garcelle. And Garcelle goes in under Dorit and snaps. And you see Erica and Sutton going at it. So really, I just want to give all the praise to Garcelle and Sutton. And I would really love if Garcelle, Sutton, and Crystal kind of all got together and figure, you know, like kind of like we're a tag team. I think that would be literally iconic. Uh, But I did also really quickly before... I end this uh, Beverly Hills segment. Um, I did find it interesting that Rinna did say in her confessional that she saw Tom at Erica's house recently within the last year and he was very cognizant. Like he seemed very with it. So she's confused. Again, Satan loves confusion. Vicky Gumbleson. Well, that is it for this week. I will have new episodes every Tuesday and Friday, as well as my new podcast, Shortcomings, a Sex in the City podcast that comes out every Wednesday. So make sure you go and check those out. Also, there are amazing podcasts brought to you by The Dip. There's TV Watch Repeat, Slut Pig podcast, The Daily Pop Chaser podcast, and then our good friend of the podcast, Steve um, at Faces by Bravo, is launching his podcast with The Dip called But Now We Said It. It goes episode by episode into Housewives. He has amazing guests. Uh, Gina Keo is a guest. Amy Phillips. It's just incredible. You guys, it will be so amazing. That comes out in two weeks, August 5th, I believe. Um, so I just hope everyone has a great weekend and enjoy what's left of summer. So bye. You know those cigarette butts that you see every day? They're made of microplastics and they line our streets and waterways. On California beaches, they're the number one plastic you'll find. Over 35 years, cleanups have collected millions combined. But no matter where you see them, they're all getting smaller, eventually leaching into our food, our air, our water. The tobacco industry's to blame for all of the harm that they do, for the harm to the people we love, and the harm to you too. Learn more at undo.org. Offer deadline on Oak Street, mile three. Welcome to the housing market. I'm with Redfin, and I'm here to help. I need to sell my house. Great. Redfin charges a 1% listing fee when you buy and sell with us, which is more than half off the usual fee and saves you an average of $8,400. Oh, wow. Is that all? Uh, yep. I'm kidding. You had me at 1%. Want to win? Sell with Redfin. It's real estate done right. Average savings is Redfin refund plus 1% listing fee. Subject to minimums. Not available in all areas. Learn more at redfin.com. C-A-D-R-E 015-219-30.